Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Modes of Mouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week we are joined by one of the faces of Sky Sports F1's coverage, the ever-engaging and very nice Natalie Pinkham is this week's guest. She's reported for Sky since 2012 and before that has had stints with the BBC as well as working on a number of different projects including some amazing and hard-hitting documentaries and charitable work. It was an honour to chat with her and hear her story. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger and enjoy. Welcome to episode 36 of the Motormouth podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I have to head as always over to Essex to bring in a stallion of a man in the county that is home to Romford Greyhound Track where they once hosted cheetah racing no less in an attempt to get more people through the gates and did you know that Colchester in Essex is Britain's oldest recorded town and was in fact our first ever capital city it also has the enviable title of being hometown to the prodigy Depeche Mode Alison Moyer and Jesse J however enough of the Essex based frivolity we're not here to talk about the home of Towie no, we're simply here to bring in my Essex-based co-host, Harry Benjamin. How are you? Wow, I really think you actually know more about Essex than I do, and I've lived here for 23-odd years. Um, it took a lot of digging to get those facts, because as you clearly. know, I've used a lot over the last you're year right. or something. I don't know how you're still going. You're really, uh, you're really eking it out. Um, but either way, I'm good. Still alive in Essex, living in lockdown life. Uh, well, sort of half lockdown, whatever you want to call it these yeah. days. Um, yeah, all good. I'm very excited, though, because I am going to uh, a little staycation tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, to the Peak District, so that'd be fun just to see uh, with the family to, to see something else other than my own garden. Lovely. Um, so that'll be fun and exciting news as well that uh, our Lord and Saviour Paul DeResta has been yes. uh, announced as a reserve driver for McLaren. He's not in though yet, so don't get He's don't get carried away. Wish any harm on any of the drivers, <laughs> yeah, but right. wouldn't that be wouldn't that be an amazing story? What would How you, are you? I, I'm fine. What What would you do if it happened? Like, would you? I mean, I lost it last time when he raced for Williams. So um, I don't know what I'd do this time. I'd because he's actually in a car that could score points, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, I don't know. It's I'm just yeah. uh, I I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to get too excited. I think he could struggle. I will have to have a chat with our our guest about this later on. Get her take on it. (laughs) Um, Right. Talking of which, shall I introduce her? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're honoured to be joined by Natalie Pinkham, a familiar face uh, to all of us on Sky Sports and Sky Sports F1. A mother, broadcaster charity campaigner uh, she's the face or the voice of her in the pink podcast which if you've not heard make sure to go and check that out wherever you listen ladies and gents it's my pleasure to welcome natalie pinkham to the motormouth podcast wow hi guys Hello. How are you? very well very how are well you? thank you how are you how's uh, how's life been in this lockdown world oh you know it's been pretty good actually we've yeah. actually stayed in one place for more than uh, three or four days so I've uh, 
Yeah, I've had a lovely time. I mean, look, I know it's been difficult for a lot of people and there's obviously extra pressures and anxiety and tensions for a lot, but I've actually loved just being my husband and my two kids uh, homeschooling, forget about it. Uh, Terrible. No chance. But we've trained together in the garden. Obviously, the weather's been amazing and um, we're lucky to have, albeit a postage stamp of a garden, it's still outside space, yeah. and I think that's the that's the that's the uh, deal breaker, isn't it? Whether if you have or haven't got that, so yeah. I feel yeah. I feel a lot for those who haven't. It's been tough, but no, on the whole, very positive. It's the, the home the homeschooling thing is an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Well, I've got three kids now, and um, we're 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 home, homeschooling two of them, and they just. They just can't do it. We 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 have actually no, 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 given no, hang up. Hang on, hang on. They can. <laughs> well, there's there's that as well. Yeah, and 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 then you try and do it, and it just gets aggravated, and then you turn to alcohol, and then the you know then <laughs> the rest is history. It's an absolute flipping nightmare. But um, I just want to get them back to school. It just it feels like they haven't been there for months. It's tough on them, isn't it? Yeah. But you know, this will be a period of their lives that they never forget, and I'm sure it will toughen them up, and it'll be go down in the history books as being a chapter of all our lives that, that yeah. changed us and hopefully hopefully mm. in the long run for the better yeah yeah absolutely now you're obviously very familiar with podcasts um you've got one yourself in the pink how's it how's it all going yeah it's good yeah um i've got just done one with george russell i'm doing one with alex Albon this afternoon and kevin magnuson next week so it's very f1 heavy at the moment yeah um but then i've also got trevor nelson Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, he's on Friday. Uh, no, sorry, Monday. Um, so there's a, a real eclectic mix, actually. I mean, it's just selfish of me, really, because I just I just interview people that I want to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> and all but you know, whatever background they're from. So it's nice. It's just, yeah, it's lovely. I love doing podcasts. Let's let's take it back to the start then, as we as we do with all of our guests. So we like to sort of uh, deep dive into their lives and careers. Um Tell us about you and how it all started. You know, what was broadcasting and, and motorsport and sport in general? Was that always a thing for you growing up or did you just sort of fall into it? What was what was early life like? Yeah, always sport crazy family. Um, I have to say my chosen sport was always athletics. I love track and field. I love uh, watching it and participating. Zola Bud was my out and out hero growing up. Um, she didn't wear shoes, so neither did I. And I used to run around the garden, back into the house, back out into the garden, leaving paw prints everywhere, driving my mum mad. Um, and um, But then very early, motorsport was a thing for us, as was rugby and football. Um yeah, we sort of loved everything. My brother got me into F1 because he's older. And as with all older brothers, you want to try and be cool and be like them and hang out with them. So I pretended, I feigned an interest in order to spend more time with Sam. And then was like, oh, actually, this is quite cool. But he was really good. He's always been very um, sort of techie and engineering sort of minded, like Unlike me, he kind of does understand the full workings of a car. He used to take old bangers to part and, and put them back together again. And I've never been like that, hence a uh, huge reliance on Ted in our team. Yeah. Um, I spent all my time with him trying to learn. It feels like I've transferred that from my brother across to Ted. The pressure's on Ted. Now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so now, now your brother is also a broadcaster on the radio. Was he, um, was he a bit annoyed that you ended up going down the F1 route and he didn't? <laughs> <laughs> He did actually. He used to say that uh, it was his dream job, and he 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 flipped between being sort of jealous and actually then sort of living vicariously. But he yeah. had a 
a family before I did. And so it wasn't, that was never going to be a sort of viable option for him to, to try. He's always been a real homeboy as well. He doesn't love travel as much as I do, but um, yeah, he, he loves it and he comes to races when he can. Um, But yeah, he works for Virgin now. He does the breakfast show before, does the early breakfast show. So he feeds into Chris Evans show and then quite often covers, he does like Monday mornings for Chris. So Chris have a nice long weekend, yeah. and um, yeah. but but it's brilliant. And Chris is obviously a massive motorsport fan as well, so it all ties in very nicely. Yeah, very nice. And when did it for you become something in terms of broadcasting and motorsport? When did it become on your radar that this could be a career choice for you? Well, to be honest, it didn't. I always wanted to um, to work in television. I wasn't sure whether in front or behind the camera. I just was fascinated by this box in the corner of the room that could get messages anywhere in the world and I was you know my mum my, my used to say that I would stay and watch all the adverts I was so interested in the sort of production of things but she did always think I was a bit of a show pony so even like when I made toast I'd be like and here we have a slice of bread and I'll ask my glamorous assistant to pass me the butter this is how you butter the bread and just to drive everyone mad um so she they always felt that I would be in front of the camera but um I kind of wanted to understand the workings of the industry first so I was a a runner researcher assistant producer and then got my opportunity um actually presenting live poker Ah, yes. Quite handy because people are either nodding off or pissed. So they don't know if, uh, you know, it's quite a good place to cut your teeth. They don't know if you've made a mistake because no one's really concentrating. Yeah. you get transfixed with live poker, don't you? You're like, I just watched one more hand. Yeah, yeah. And then before you know it, it's like four hours later. Yeah. Are you a poker so, player? Do you Have you had yeah. a go? You are. Yeah, so I um, I used to do the European poker tour with uh, my, my dear um, friend Caroline Flack and we used to travel around Europe together, both playing and presenting poker together. And it was a dream job, you know. I used to... We, just, we went to every city in Europe and just had a brilliant time. And it was a great place to learn live television. Um, and then the opportunity in terms of Formula One came because Five Live contacted me and said, would you like to be a pit lane reporter for us? And it was really out of the blue. And I thought, oh, my God, that would be amazing. But it was quite intimidating at the same time because it's one thing to be a fan of the sport. It's another thing altogether to, yeah. to broadcast from it. Um, and... You know, as you guys well know, F1 is the kind of sport where the more you learn, the more you need to learn. Yeah. It's like this giant onion that you just pe- keep peeling layers off. And um, so, yeah, it was a, a steep learning curve, but one that I've really enjoyed. We ha- we've had um, a few broadcasters on the show, and um, I think it was Jenny Gow maybe that said to us, um, she thought she knew a lot about Formula One, then started working in it and realised when she started working, people like Paul DeResta, Harry, I said his name, we'll, we'll talk about him, um, that uh, that she suddenly realised she had so much to learn and actually knew nothing. Yeah. Um, did, did you experience that when you came into the sport? Yeah, you definitely learn um, on the job and, you know, we're all works in progress, so you never stop learning and um, it's constantly evolving as a sport. It's not really like football or rugby to that extent. You know, there's so much um, technical know-how, which again is why I refer back to Ted. Uh, But uh, it's great having past races with you because they give you such a different perspective. So it's brilliant working with people like 
Paul DeResta. Well, let, let's talk about Paul DeResta because... I tried to say it in my sexy radio voice then. <laughs> Don't you'll get Harry overexcited. So so just so our listeners are aware, um, I'm, I'm sure they already know, but Harry is the biggest Paul DeResta fanboy on the planet, bar none. And there is talk... I don't think I've ever met anybody else who, who likes Paul DeResta as much as I do. And no. I can't explain the fascination at all. Right. But I just, it's not, I don't think it's in a weird way. Just a big try, fan. Try, just try, just try. So, well, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've watched Formula One. Or I, you know, I, I, well, I was... Like he's getting all giddy, you can't get his words out. <laughs> I'm just so nervous about Paul <laughs> um, No, so I'm, I remember watching Paul DeResta vividly from 2011 to 2013, his, his, his main stint in F1. And I love an underdog, always have, always will. He was British, Scottish, but British. Uh, and... You just and the thought that car was always like if he got a fourth place or a sixth place that was such a big deal, and he was he I'm pretty he was better than most of all of his teammates. Him and Hulkenberg were pretty evenly matched, and I just thought he deserves to be. And at the time, it was like he he might take over from um, Schumacher in the Mercedes, and all that was all the rumours that it was. And I was like, yes, absolutely, I can get on board with this guy. Underdog Hamilton's already established. We've got Button. Duressa was the next one, and then he got sidelined. And I just thought it was so unjust, and that he had such bad. Bad luck, and that people didn't quite. Um, I think people misunderstood him as well. I don't think he maybe communicated very well the kind of person he was. I don't know. I've never met the man, but um, I just that's that's my that's the reason I felt like I think his Formula One journey was cut short, and I think he could have been a very very good Formula One. But he driver. might be back. He could be back. Could be, couldn't he? Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Honestly, you should have seen me when he got when he replaced Massa all those years ago. I literally went ballistic. Ballistic. And he he proved that he was. Yeah, and he proved that he he still had it as well because he had no practice and still did it. Anyway, that's the PDR chat. Still waiting for him to come on the podcast. Um, That email, I haven't responded to my email yet, so uh, give him a little nudge, will you? Um, (laughs) But we get sidelined by Paul Dresta quite a lot. Let's go back to you. F1. Dream job for many. Can you pinpoint a best part of the job? Well, certainly when I was um, younger, before I had kids, the travel was um, a massive draw for me because I've Mm. always just wanted to see the world and experience different cultures. And what we used to do is we used to tack on a few days before and after each race to really explore each city and get to know the area and the country that we're in. It is much more difficult to do that now. And obviously, I, I want to get straight back after the race to be back with my kids. And actually, I try I do take the kids to quite a few races as well. So um, I remember when I had Wilf and he, so he's five now, but I had him and three months after I had him, I strapped him to me and we went to our first race together to Barcelona. And uh, it was brilliant. And he's been in pit lanes and in and around cars ever since. And as has Willow. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I want them to have that sort of, well, that kind of don't be phased by anything mm. attitude that I grew up with. That's always what my parents instilled in me just to go out exploring. So that's definitely a massive part of it. Also, I just think it's such an interesting sport with so many subplots. We've talked about the giant onion already, but it's this idea that there's so many elements to the sport. Mm. I love the politics of it. I love the, the, the difference of opinion and cultural differences that do tend to clash in the paddock. I'm always really interested why some driver dynamics work and some don't, why some engine suppliers and teams seem to work together in partnership and others don't. And um, it's just got everything. Um, And, you know, racing on top of all of that and 
meeting incredible people. And actually, I think, to be honest, a bit like you guys, I love meeting people. Mm. I just love talking to people and finding out about people. Yeah. I'm a sticky beak, I think. Yeah, no, we're the same. And, and, and everyone's got a story, haven't they? You know, it doesn't matter who you talk to. Everyone has their own individual opinion and story of how they got to where they, they are. Um, it's fascinating. And, and and as I mentioned off air, we, we've had a couple of your colleagues on the show already um, in the form of uh, Crofty and uh, and Karun Chandok. Uh, you've got a, a lovely bunch of people that you work with. Uh, what's it like working with them? And uh, and who who is the weirdest? Ooh. Well, I tell you, we've all got our quirky little idiosyncrasies and foibles, but um, they are genuinely a lovely bunch of people. You're spot on. And they have to be because we spend so much time together. Certainly, again, um, in the early days, we, you know, it's pretty much nine months of the year. We just traveled and, but we used to have so much fun and we still do. We definitely still do. Um, But yeah, just, just a lovely kind of mix of characters. Um, not enough women for my liking. Yeah. Uh, definitely want more, fe- more of a female presence. And uh, in the early days, I used to do the job with Georgie Thompson. And Georgie um, was my best friend from childhood because we went to boarding school together. And we couldn't believe it when we ended up in the same team at work. So she was working for Sky. So she'd come up through the ranks at Sky. And I'd gone the BBC route and then when Sky got the rights from the BBC, I was obviously working for Five Live. And then when they got the rights to the TV to come across, Sky then, well, I threw my hat in the ring. I said, go on, can you give me a chance? And they said, yeah, OK. So I went across with Ted, Crofty, Martin Brundle, um, Ant. And so it was great because I had like four really good mates already. And then I was joining another best mate. And I'd known lasers for... 20 years as well yeah wow um and so it was this lovely coming together and we yeah just had such a laugh and we shared information and what i love is that they're all team players um they've all got we've all got each other's backs and no one wants to see another one struggle so we all work hard to help each other out in that respect and we all got you know we're all juggling we've all got um pressures and challenges from home and so it is so vital that you do get on with your colleagues yeah uh, that's really really nice that really comes across on screen as well talking about sort of inclusivity and that's quite hot in motorsport at the moment obviously um particularly being a woman in the paddock as we've discussed what how's it been you've been in formula one since since the bbc five live days you've seen a lot of things change has enough changed are there moves to make? That, how do you see the future going? How does it feel to be a woman in the paddock right now? No, not enough has changed. I mean, we are still 88% male and 91% white. I mean, that they're terrible stats yeah. um, for the sport. And so, no, short answer, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, I've always said that once you're in the sport, it feels like... A meritocracy. So if you work hard, you'll get your opportunities and you can power through. But there aren't enough female role models within the sport or members of the BAME community in order to, for people watching to feel like it is a viable career choice, that it's accessible. They need relatable role models, which is why I know I came in for quite a lot of criticism at the time from those that love the glamour of the grid girls. And I did too. But for me, the problem was if, if beautiful girls stood in front of cars doing nothing other than standing in front of the cars, 
then young girls watching would think that their only chance of being involved in F1 was to look a certain way and nothing else. You know, not not talk about cars, not drive them, not negotiate contracts around them, not run teams. So this is why we really need to put the spotlight more on other women like Claire Williams. Um, But actually, next week, I'm doing a feature with the three female strategists. So the stats I've just told you, very different when it comes to strategists. We've got 30% of the strategists in Formula One are women. Really? That's great. Really cool. So I'm going to go and see them next week. Um, We've got Bernie at Racing Point. We've got Hannah at uh, Red Bull. And we've got um, Ruth at Alfa Romeo. All brilliant women, brilliant brains, brilliant minds. And this is what we need to be showing is that there is stuff happening, but more needs to happen and, yeah. and, and be a cause and effect thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And um, Karun and I are working hard on creating ideas to improve the diversity within the sport because it's vital, you know, yeah. 2020, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you, obviously you mentioned Claire there. Um, she's come in for um, criticism over the last you know, couple of years. Um, some of it just and fair, some of it perhaps not. Do, do you think um, the fact that she's a woman has any bearing on some of that criticism? Do you think it's, it, that still exists in the sport? I'm afraid so. It would be very naive of me to pretend it doesn't. I mean, I... I often say, um, you know, people ask me whether I've experienced sexism within the sport. I say, no, no, of course not. And I think, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Until people like me actually acknowledge that everyday sexism is a thing, unconscious bias is a thing, then nothing's going to change. Now, has it affected me? Um, You know, hopefully not. It's probably toughened me up. I've probably got sort of thicker skin because of it. But um, it's there. Of course it's there. You know, you you need to feel like you've got a voice um, and you need to be able to use that voice and feel that it counts. Um, And actually, I think this whole... uh, discussion at the moment is, has been really good for everyone within the sport because they've suddenly actually started thinking yeah. I wonder what it is like for someone like Lewis or Karun yeah. or um, a woman you know anyone who isn't um, represented to, to the fullest e- yeah. extent within our sport oh. and suddenly if, if you can just see the world through another's eyes for a moment, you realise what needs to change. I mentioned Trevor Nelson earlier. Um, It reminds me of a time with him because we used to do an NFL show together. And he said to me, um, oh, should we go for a production meeting before the show? I was like, yeah, 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 great. And I suggested a venue. And when we walked in to this venue, he just looked around and sort of rolled his eyes slightly. And I said, oh, you know, everything okay? And he goes, well, look around. Do you see another black person in this whole place? And I went, no, but it's, it, uh, yeah, I, I, no. I mean, he said, now imagine if I'd asked you to come and meet me for a production meeting and there wasn't another white person in the place, yeah. you would have an issue with that. And I went, yeah, God, maybe I would. Yeah. And because I didn't see the colour of his skin as an issue, I didn't think he would within that environment. And that's what I mean about just trying mm. to see through another person's eyes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Just because you know you're not racist and you believe that you want change in the world doesn't mean that you can't occasionally just try to view things from another's perspective. And that's what we talk about, the need 
of educating all of us. We all need to learn more and be better. I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. And it, it, it made me think recently with this whole Lewis Hamilton, you know, and Black Lives Matter movement um, for the first time in my life. And we were talking to Willie T. Ribs about this. We had him on a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and, he, and we had a good chat with him about it. For the first time in my life, it made me um, reflect more and think more about how I perceive it all. And like you, you know, I don't think I'm a racist person, but I d- also didn't think about it enough. And it, di- it took a, a penny to drop in my own mind to go, actually, I get it now. Like, I do understand why Lewis feels uncomfortable. I understand about your story with Trevor. And, and not just that, you know, females in motorsport, transgender people like Charlie Martin in motorsport. And it's, if you put yourselves in, in their shoes, you suddenly look at things in a totally different way. And it's mm-hmm. completely changed the way I view the whole thing. So it's, it's definitely been a worthwhile discussion. Um, just, uh, just to lighten the mood slightly, um, the uh, you you dodged cleverly my question about uh, who's the weirdest uh, in the team. Ah. So um, I, I'm I'm guessing it's going to be um, uh, someone like Johnny. But I'd I'd like to hear from from you. Oh. Who, who's the oddball? Who's the one that you always laugh at in the team? Oh well, we definitely always laugh at Johnny, um, <laughs> but in with with the most amount of love. I mean, he is universally the most popular person in our team. There is not a bad side to that man. He is kind. He's considerate. He's unselfish. You can't walk through the paddock without him being stopped twenty times. I mean, <laughs> honestly, you've got to factor in at least half an hour extra Johnny time if you want to get from one end of the paddock to the other. It's slightly different now that. There's hardly anyone in there, but he has got time for everyone and he will stop and talk. um, And he's just a very decent human being. So, yeah, he's right up there on the top step of the podium for me when it comes to teammates. Um, In terms of the oddest, God, we've got a few. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of OCD in our team. There's lots of quirky guys, particularly the ex-drivers, doing certain things, you know, there has to be a certain amount of dips of the tea bag and the teacup. There has to they, they iron their own underpants. You know, they think are they. I mean, I drive them mad because I'm quite messy, and they're like, "Oh my god, Pinky, this just absolutely drives me nuts." Crofty, for example, the other day at Silverstone, um, we we don't have catering um, because of coronavirus, so we have these little pack meals that we bring in and put in the microwave. And I'm like rushing, like a typical mum trying to do too many things at the same time and probably dropping a few plates while I'm doing it. I'm literally and metaphorically. And I go and put the food into the microwave and um, grab it and run off and eat it. Crofty comes back and he goes, there was still 23 seconds left on the microwave. I said, what? What do you mean? Well, you left 23 seconds. Do you always do that? And I said, well, no, I just needed to eat it quickly because I've got to go and do the show. Yeah, but you left 23 seconds flashing <laughs> and beeping and it really irritated me. I was like, oh my God. He's an odd one, isn't he? He's, he, told, <laughs> he told us that he had a fear of tea bags, was it, Harry? Was it tea? Yeah, he's scared of tea bags. He won't, he won't, he, he hates all the, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't like, he doesn't like tea because he hates and has a phobia of tea bags. Weird. I mean, yeah. I have known the guy for like ten years, and I did not know that. Well, yeah. bring that up. Bring that up next time you see him, and and see if see if he backtracks. Um, he's a good man, though. I won't hear anything bad about Crofty because he is a very loyal uh, we friend. We love Crofty, um, yeah. but, a bit, but a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> All the best people are. Um, yeah. 
Nat. Now, I think now is the perfect time for you to take part in the hardest quiz in motorsports. Cue music. Thank you, Timothy. Now, um, Nat, this quiz has been going on for some time now. We're really, really stretching the life out of it. Um, there are 13 points up for grabs. Uh, we're going to play you a couple of clips. And basically, you hear the clips, and then I ask you a few questions about them. They're all related to uh, mostly the last Formula One race, which uh, this moment in time was the first Silverstone round. Um, and also, there's, uh, there may be a one or two in there relating to you and, and your career and, and sort of maybe interviews you've done, that kind of thing. Um, Connor Daly currently sits at the top of the leaderboard with 13 points. So the only way to beat him is to match him. Uh, but if we're looking uh, for, you know, some of your colleagues, Crofty, ninth with 11 points. Uh, then we have, who else? Karun Chandok, um, sadly, uh, is last with three and a half points. Um, he had He's a mare. He's the person I know. I know, and all the questions were about him and he, he got them all wrong. It was, oh. it was awful. But are you ready for the hardest quiz in motorsport? No, but let's do it anyway. Let's do it. Let's have clip number one. Have a listen to this. Here it comes. Come on, give me. Give me something here. I think you'll get that one. Now, can Ice you give me a bit of the context? Yes, yeah. perfect. Ice racing with Kimi Raikkonen. And he suggested that I had a go. And I asked him for some advice. He didn't give me any. He just said, just go. And then I, I smashed it up and wrote off the car on the first turn. It is a brilliant feature. Uh, that is absolutely correct. Now, two more questions for you. What year was that in? Um, I think that was January 2013. Absolutely correct. And what team was Kimi racing for at the Renault. time? <sighs> Same sort of thing. I'm yeah. going to give you the benefit of the doubt on that one because technically it was Lotus Renner. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I will give you that. Or thin ice, thin ice. Um, all right, let's let, let's have uh, the second clip. Here we go. I don't know where you to go. Hard, really hard. Do you want to hear that again? Yes, please. I don't know where you to go. To be honest. Can you hear what he's saying? Do you need me to say what he's saying? Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know where you expect me to go, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So who is saying that? And then what's sort of the context around it? And was it from this last race? From the last race. That's a bit of team radio from someone. Oh, Alex Albon. Boom. Correct. Yep. Uh, yeah. And was... Have I got to then give more? The context. Yeah, so what, what was he talking about? Um... Yeah, I remember him saying it now. Um, I don't know where he expected me to go. To be honest, was it was he was he put out into traffic in quali? Was that why he was pissed off? No, okay, no, no, I don't like that expression. Um, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. I can't think. Do you want it one more time? It was, it was if I give you yeah, hear it one more time, and, and it, it if I, it wasn't qualifying. Hey, have it one more time. Here it comes. I don't know. I don't know where he expected me to go. To be honest. The face of concentration. Right there. <laughs> obviously, it was in the it was in the race. It was in the race. And but hang on, he actually had a he had a. Time's up. Time's up. No, no, no. no, no, no. 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 He, he went. He, he went to the back, and that he that he had a penalty because obviously, yeah, he got the penalty <laughs> for he had and five second penalty that he had to take in the pit stop, and then he went all the way to the back, and then he came through to take what P eight P five. But but why did he have the penalty? Because he um, impeded. Um, Come on. 
No. Oh, yeah, come on. I wouldn't say impeded was well, the word. Well, we could be a bit lenient on that. Who? Who? Was it? It wasn't Lando. It was oh. Leclerc. Oh. Oh, no. No, you got, no, no, no points. No, nothing. I'm afraid. No. I will give you the point for... I'll give you two out of three for that oh, one. Oh, my God, my I was head's going to explode. He I had a crash think. with Kevin Magnussen in the first lap. <sighs> Of course he did. And then Kevin, and then Kevin, did, yeah, oh my God. Of course, Kevin, well, but Kevin sort of came on. Fire, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that was only at Sunday, for God's sake. <laughs> that's blo- that, that's blown the podium. Some easy ones. That's blown you know the podium, what? Charles. You know what? It's so funny because we we have a running joke in, in the family that I have really bad short-term memory. And, we, <laughs> and I used to blame it on the babies. We used to say it was baby brain. And then my husband said to me only the other day, how long are you going to, they're five and four now. They're yeah, not babies. Yeah. How long are you going to blame it on them? But you're right. It was, of course, first lap, yes. first lap clash with Kevin. And then he yeah, came that, I mean, you got all the rest of it. You got sent to the back five-second penalty, all that. But, I'm um, talking to him this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, oh, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, well, now, um, the, this, this last one, um, I'm actually a bit worried for now. Oh, sorry, no, what are we on? Number three. Number three. Um, I'm, I'm actually a bit worried now. for now. Um, so have a listen to this. Same thing goes. It's uh, it's a driver from last race. Have a listen. Here it comes. Oh, guys. I'm so sorry. It's, that's Kate. That's um, Kvyat. Yes. Uh, and he was saying sorry, wasn't he? Because he... Um, was it in the race? or it, 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 He basically had a puncture and he went off and he... Effed up his yeah, race. Yeah. You've, re- yeah, you've redeemed yourself. Totally redeemed yourself. <laughs> <laughs> three out of three for that one. Yeah, I think he thought it was his fault. And Which then, it wasn't, was he it? He thought it was his Which fault. It and actually, it wasn't. And But he was so annoyed because yeah. I was capable of quite a lot at the weekend. Yeah. And mm. he, well, and, well, he, he shut the cameraman as well. He the, did, yeah. Cameraman. Yeah. Okay, right. We're back on track. We're doing yeah. well. Doing well, even after that blip. Okay, this is your last bit of team radio and then there's yep. a bonus question so okay. one more bit of team radio for you have a listen here we go nothing left nothing left yeah Millie Grosjean we yes correct um, and do you know what I felt a bit sorry for him because they took a nice gamble they went out at, well they stayed out for longer on that first in and it looked he was running P5 at one point wasn't he mm. Then he was a little bit of a naughty boy and got in the way of Daniel and... Nick Carlos, Simon, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he has a tendency to do that, doesn't he? Naughty mm. yeah. boy. Mm. And then obviously just tumbled down the order again and yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it didn't work out. Hassa having a bit of shocker, aren't they? They really are. But yeah. you've done well there. You've got three Great. points for that one. You're... I'm so annoyed about the album one. What a you wally. Only, you only lost one point on that. So, you can still uh, get right up the leaderboard. That's all right. Okay. You're still, you're still doing well. You're up there. I think you're equaling Crofty right now if my maths works any good. So you need this, you need this final point. Right. Bonus question for you. Lewis Hamilton currently tops the Drivers' Championship at the time of recording, which is after the first British Grand Prix. Yeah. But how many points does he have? Oh, for God's you sake. You can get within now, five. If you get within five, I will give you the point. <sighs> I've got my applause button at the ready. No, this is really annoying because I do know this, but I've just got 91 in my head because that's his polls. Oh, no. You've got a bit of leeway. No, I, I, I don't even want to hazard a guess. Where's my notebook? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, Natalie's no, notebook no does not come into this. How quick's your maths? Uh... <laughs> <sighs> 
I've just written it down so many times, I just can't remember it. Give take, us a number. Take a stab in the dark. No, I can't. Go on. I mean, you've already said a number, which is quite a good number. Yeah. But it's over 100. <clears throat> is it not? No. So is it in the 90s? <sighs> maybe, maybe high 80s. Could be. 87. Oh, well, that's good enough. I'll give you the point. <laughs> he has 88 points currently. I'm actually sweating. Do you know how much I'm sweating right now? <laughs> that's why this is the hardest quiz in motorsport. It's a tough one. It's not hard. I should know that. I mean, I should actually... To be fair, you should. Yeah. yeah, well, let's let's do the math, shall we? Fine, let's do a tot-up. I think it's going to it's going to be okay. top five, isn't it? Well, I mean, you've absolutely smashed Karun Chandot's score, not so hard. you have to worry about not that. Um, so you really wanted to beat Crofty, who was on eleven points, uh, thirteen to top the leaderboard. I can tell you, Natalie Pinkham, you have scored twelve points, which puts another round of applause ahead of Crofty, ahead of Jenny Gao, uh, and in the lead of all the. Actually, that puts you... Of the sky... Oh, no, puts you third. Puts you third. Puts you third on the leaderboard. Overall. I was going to say I was a very happy Max Verstappen to have taken an unlikely second spot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think, but unfortunately, Brendan Hartley has 12.5. So you are half half a point away. He was brilliant. Um, Thank you, Natalie Bingham, for playing Motor Mouths. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. Well done. Um, You can tell all your friends the highlight of your career. Well done, you top three. Um, Listen, um, I want to touch on um, some of your charity and um, and patient work. So you you have a relationship with Hope and Homes for Children. Tell us a bit about the work that they do and and your involvement with them. Oh, well, they're they're an amazing charity. Um, I came to be involved with them. God, I'm going to tell you, squeeze 20 years into two minutes. They, I, I basically went and worked as a volunteer in an orphanage in Romania when I was about um, 18. Gosh. And then um, it's always bothered me that I didn't do more at the time. Obviously, this was before you could, you know, there was no social media. There was no, couldn't even really kind of keep in contact via email. But I was, I was really... Um, frustrated by the fact I couldn't do more, particularly for one little girl called Morella, who was who I became particularly attached to. They'd always said, don't become attached to any of the children when you're out there because the time will come when you have to leave again and you're basically abandoning them all over again. Um, and but I, So I went back 10 years later. I convinced um, a film crew to come with me. Well, I say film crew, it's me and a bloke with a little camera. But we got a commission and a documentary went out on Channel 5. And um, we went to find her in search of Morella. That was the name of the documentary. And I found her actually tied to a radiator. And oh. she had been um, tied to that radiator for on and off pretty much for a decade she'd become totally institutionalized and I was obviously mortified because at age two when I last saw her she was bright eyed and had so much potential and I vowed obviously I felt incredibly guilty that I hadn't done more sooner Um, but I then started to fundraise for her and her friends and I filed to adopt her I couldn't bring her back to England because you're not allowed international adoption isn't allowed um So I built a home for her and 11 of her friends and siblings. When a child is neglected to such an extent, their brain actually shrinks. So their life skills are stripped from them. So she could do more at two than she could at 12. Her hands were clawed. Her feet had turned in. She couldn't talk. 
it was absolutely brutal. And we did a whole, um, I did a whole kind of project and another documentary on institutionalization, the impact it has on children. But actually my F1 friends were incredible. Um, there was this lovely moment in 2011 when I was in the paddock in Australia and a guy called Paul Hembry from Pirelli yep. came up to me and asked me what I'd been doing over the winter. And I said, well, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Anyway, I told him the story that I'd been looking for this little girl. I'd been in the sewers under Bucharest looking for her. And then I found myself in the paddock in um, Melbourne, surrounded by mind-blowing wealth. You know, every step there was a billionaire. And I, could, I couldn't really um, process this huge leap that I'd taken between abject poverty and huge wealth. And I felt quite sort of disillusioned by it all. And I remember ringing my mum and saying, mum, I just don't know if I can do this job. It's so weird. It's so, so different. And she said, well, look, stay put. And you never know, you could leverage your position in that world to help those that you've um, seen in Romania and beyond. And sure enough, um, fast forward you know, what is it, nine years now? Um, I've had tremendous support from the F1 community, helped me build a house for Morella, helped me adopt her and these other profoundly damaged children. And um, Paul Hembry had said to me at the time, um, I'd like to give you your first cheque to build her a home because Pirelli are opening a factory in a place called Slatina, which is the last place Morella had been seen. So not only did I find her, but I had this incredibly serendipitous moment with Paul Hembry. And he himself had been abandoned at birth. And this is why. Wow. And he'd gone on to make a success of his life. Incredible guy. And he gave me 25 grand to start the ball rolling. Um, Yeah. And, you know... I don't know. It's it motivates me every day. I've obviously gone on to have two of my own kids. I'm taking them back to see some of the projects that we work on. But our aim is to end institutionalisation, and we do that by trying to keep families together. Eighty percent of the world's orphans aren't actually orphans. They've been separated from their parents and families because of war and poverty. And what we need to do, particularly now with this coronavirus pandemic, is is equip families, strengthen them, educate them to stay together and make it work and help them get jobs. And then sure enough, kids will grow up loved and safe. Um, well, safer, because actually when when we talk to these children, the only thing they really care about is being in a family. They just want to be loved. Yeah. They don't want the new trainers, the expensive toys. They just want to be loved. Yeah. So that's what we try to do. Wow, wow that's that amazing. Amazing. I think that's why we love talking to uh, such different people from from this from the most. But well, because you're right, it's such a you know being in a paddock in a in a pit lane on the grid. It is such a bubble. It is such a and you just as soon as you step out of it, you just can't really comprehend what what it is you've just done. It is sort of not, it's not real. And yeah. meeting people like you have to experience you know the the complete opposite to it. it it's 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 fascinating and it's amazing what you've been able to do and and thank god you stayed in in the f1 job because you know that's how you've been able to do it which is amazing yeah yeah and honestly you as you say everybody's got a story and just mm. that chance meeting with paul hembury yeah changed wow. my life and changed morella's life and changed all her little friends and you know paul was amazing he used to go and visit Morella and the other children, every time he was at the Pirelli factory, he'd go and take them toys. And, you know, what a tremendous guy. And um, I will 
forever be in his debt because he he helped me um, not only start but finish a passion project that meant the world to me so that's amazing what an incredible story and and fair play to him as well and I don't know um I don't know whether that got covered publicly um his involvement at the time but um you know he's another one of those characters who you know working for Pirelli and often being the the mouthpiece for them got an incredibly rough ride um you know when there were instances of of tire failures and so on and you know he got such a hard time from um, social media and, and the press and so on and it's nice to hear um, such a positive spin on him and his his involvement um, yeah. so fair play to him that's that's amazing and what, what a cool story so we'll, we'll obviously share all the links to hopes uh, to, uh, hope and homes for children um, along with this podcast because it sounds like an incredible thing that you're doing there so mm. um, really big kudos um, for that amazing stuff oh. Um, Thanks. I have to say that people like Damon and Johnny and Martin Brundle and Jensen, Daniel, Ricardo, they've all been amazing. They've all, uh, Felipe Massa, they've all come to my fundraisers and um, over the years and really supported me. So there's a lot of love and there's a lot of um, philanthropy within Formula One that you don't hear about. And uh, these guys do a hell of a lot um, behind the scenes to make a difference. And I'm so grateful for them for that. Brilliant. No, that that's great. Well, um, you know, anything we can do, of course, in our own small little way, um, would would love to. But we we can certainly talk about that. Um, talking about people being interviewed, like Paul um, in the paddock, you you've interviewed many, if not all, of the the good and great that have been in, in motorsport over the last uh, few years. Um, who do you always look forward to having a chat to? Well, Daniel's an obvious one um, because he is. He never disappoints, um, you know, and I and I never forget him saying to me, he had, he'd had a crap race in Spa a couple of years ago. And um, I remember sort of, you always try to like think about how you can ask the question without further rubbing salt in the wound for the driver. Yeah. Because the last thing they really want to do is be talking to you. Um, so you always try to sort of soften it and look for the positives, but equally, you know... Yeah, it's difficult to package it up sometimes as anything other than just being a rubbish day. And I said to him, I'm really sorry you've had such a bad day. And he said, you know what, don't worry, because one of my bad days is anyone else's great day. You know, I'm living the dream. And yeah. please don't ever feel sorry for me. Yeah, it's a and good way like, to look at it. Because I think a lot of people see Daniel as a bit of a joker, and he is, and he, you know, he's great fun, but he's an incredibly kind person. He's incredibly thoughtful. He's got a massive heart. He really genuinely cares. Um, and so, yeah, he's always a joy to interview. Yeah, that's nice. He always seems like the perfect person to to have on camera as well. Like if you have, you always get something good out of him, it feels like, yeah. uh, regardless of if, he, if he's had a crap race or not. Um, has there ever been a moment where um, you've sort of been interviewing someone or, or, or hosting to camera and you've just thought, I want the ground to swallow me up. I've done something <laughs> horrific here. Please get me out of this. Oh my God, so many times. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, look, we're, you know, sometimes as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, what am I even saying? <laughs> oh my God. Um, and, but, you know, hopefully people at home know that you're just human and that you're just trying to, process a lot of information I think one one hard part of our job is and there's no hard parts it's all great it's lovely but um one of the trickiest bits is when you're in the pen and all the drivers flood in at the same time and you've got them sort of backing up and you're thinking and you're starting to sweat because you've got just these notes that you've scribbled as the race has gone on and say somebody that might have had a fairly 
you know, low key race stands in front of you and you're thinking, oh my God, what happened in his race? And, and you're scuffling through your notepad going, what even happened in his race? I can't even remember what happened at Alex Alphon and Kmart <laughs> from Sunday to Sunday. <laughs> Oh God! That was big. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, listen, loads of times, and, and you, you know. But the, I, I think ninety percent of the drivers are kind blokes, and they know that you're just trying to do a job, and they know that you're a conduit for the fans, and they quite often want to vent as well. They want to t- say their piece, so you often just have to tee them up and say. You know, tell me about your frustrations today. You keep them. You keep. You sometimes keep it fairly generic, um, but I, I do remember my first ever interview with Michael Schumacher, and um, I was obviously absolutely petrified. And I reached out, and they. And I remember Mark Webber, who, by the way, is another incredible human being. Um, he, Mark, said to me, "Look, Nats, you just got to be. You know, you just got to sharpen the elbows, get in there, and." Mark got the giggles on my first weekend because he was like, where's Nat? Where is she? Because he knew that I was nervous about being there. And he could see me right at the back. And he went, yeah, good elbows, pinks. Like, <laughs> I was so far back. I just didn't get in there. I was so embarrassed. Oh. I was the thought of it. And when eventually I did get up to Michael to ask him a question, I put my hand on his arm like that. And he went like that and like looked down at my hand on his arm as God. if to say, what are you doing? Oh, God. You're, t- you're actually touching me. And I think I'm quite a tactile person, so I quite like going in for the hug. <laughs> I just t- and I kind of went, ooh. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, he was lovely as well, so I didn't have anything to worry about. Good. Oh, amazing. What a story. Uh, yeah, yeah, get your elbows out. Um, now, um, I've seen you do a couple of videos recently uh, looking into electric cars. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, what, what's your what's your take on the whole electric world, for, and, and particularly in motorsport? You know, if we've got Formula E, we've got this new extreme yeah. E thing coming in. It's getting bigger and bigger yeah. every every year, really. What, what's your sort of take on it all? Well, I mean, um, I'm really excited by it. So so that, that was a couple of reasons that we got involved with that. So Kirsty Gallagher's a good mate of mine, and we wanted to support our friend's small business obviously they're getting a hammering at the moment so it's not an advert per se um it's really to support small business within um within the uk and this mate of ours sam at volts leasing hey there you go nice one there you go sammy um he it it occurred to me and i know it sounds you know a bit hippie-ish but it's the truth that one of the really positive things apart from being together as a family that i loved about lockdown was these clear skies and Mm -hmm. this replenishment of the planet and just no cars on the roads and we see i was thinking god we've really got um a responsibility here particularly as a mum you know I, i walk the kids to nursery and school and there's one bit where i have to go down quite a busy road and i saw this report that said if you could just choose a different route it's better for your child's lungs and of course my god you're thinking oh my god what what am i doing by living in a city with with two young kids so anyway the long and the short of it was that me and Kirsten said, right, well, let's support Sam. Let's just review a load of cars and put them out there. And we, we've, we've done about 10 cars now. We're all through the price range um, that we're just going to um, drip out over the next few weeks just to show people what your options are in terms of electric and hybrid. And um, it's getting better. It's getting easier. And, uh, you know, I think we've all got, um, yeah, I think we should all be getting behind it if we can. Um mm. It's, it's ultimately cheaper to do it and it's so much better for the planet. 
Yeah, yeah. T- from a racing aspect as well, though, do you think Formula E is is sort of the right way to go with with electric racing? Do you think you know there's talk of things like hydrogen stuff, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert. I don't know if you are either, but yeah, it no. just sort of in terms of where where we where a motorsport fan sits, uh, you know, there's the, obviously everyone keeps saying Formula E is not here to replace Formula One. It never will. But mm. there is that argument, of course, where the world needs assistance and Formula One surely is is not the best type of sport to be assisting in in, in terms of carbon emissions. No, but I think uh, Formula One under Liberty are making big strides. They're making uh, strides to be carbon neutral by I think it's 2030, which wow. is very ambitious. But um, I, I need to check that actually, because um, I know that Sky are absolutely leading the way in terms of um, being carbon neutral. I mean, if you come onto our campus, it's quite incredible um, how much there's no single use plastic allowed at all on campus so you can't buy a bottle of water for example there's water fountains everywhere you have to fill up your water bottles Um, I know that's just a small step but I realised as a family how much plastic we go through so we're all making these incremental gains Um, and actually I interviewed Alejandro Agad the guy who set up Formula E for my podcast and I sort of asked him the same question and he said look you know we just have to keep exploring and pushing the boundaries and we have to understand and do what we can to, to improve the planet and this uh, extreme e, which is another one of his yeah, creations, sounds wicked. Mm, yeah. I know, right? Mm, and it's it awesome. Getting involved with it, um, but it sounds brilliant. But look, I always get a bit. You know, I'm not an expert, but I'm interested and I want to learn. I want to educate myself, and I always get a little bit funny about those that are prickly with those that are trying to learn. Because until we all try to learn a bit, and it's like the BLM movement, until we all just make. Um, improvements to our own individual lives, then nothing will change, you know, on the macro level. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. And, and talking of the planet, you've obviously travelled a huge amount of it with your your work. What's your favourite place to go uh, on the F1 circuit? Yeah, and that, that's another thing, isn't it? Because whilst there's that much air travel around Formula One, then there will always be problems and implications for for the planet. So. Um, we do have to consider this. I mean, this truncated season is going to see us racing much more in Europe than ever mm. before. Um, and not going further afield, not taking these long haul flights and not, you know, increasing our carbon footprint. But in terms of where I love to go, I mean, look, I, um, I think you're hard pushed to find a more fun weekend than Monaco. Like it's just, it's pretty, it's weird. It's surreal. Um, take it with a trowel of salt, but go because, um, lots of people say to me, Oh my God, but you know, can't afford to go to Monaco. Ted and I, one of my favorite ever features that we ever did was doing it on a massive budget or a tiny one. And luckily for me, I got the massive budget. (laughs) Uh, I got the super yachts and the helicopters, but Ted had to do it on a shoestring, but he did a brilliant job and he proved that, for a couple of hundred euros, you can go and camp and you can get the bus and the train and have an incredible experience. And Monaco is just bonkers, um, but brilliant. And it's it should really be on everyone's bucket list. If yeah, you can, yeah. you should go. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. I remember going there a couple of years ago for the Formula E and I was simply just trying to find a supermarket to buy some, to buy some sort of food. And I Oh, I could find Chanel. I found Bugatti. I found all of these, all of these incredibly luxurious. I like, just want a supermarket. Where can I find one? Eventually, did find. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Where's the cost cutter? I, I um, did. I did it on a yacht. You know. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, I, I'd love to claim it was mine, but it wasn't. It was. Uh, it was one that belonged. Well, I think the Chilterns rented it for the week. Oh. 
Um, what a family they are. They're lovely. Outside of uh, broadcasting and quizzing, which you've proved you're very good at, um, we know you can skate a little bit. We've delved into the archives and seen you <laughs> dancing around the ice, flicking your hair in uh, Dancing on Ice, where... My yeah. hair extensions. <laughs> Fantastic. Was it, was, it, was it the second week you bowed out? Yeah, or it... I didn't bow out. I was unceremoniously <laughs> dumped. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, mean, I didn't want to go there. No, it's so, fine. It's the have you carried on the skating, the skating then, or uh, ever since? No, I've tried to show off when we go to the skating rink, you know, at Christmas time, and I always make a fool out of myself there as well. No, it was, <laughs> um, you know what, it was, it was an amazing experience to be taught how to skate by Torval and Dean. I mean, that is like yeah, another cool. bucket list thing. Mm, it's yeah. unbelievable. But I wasn't, um, I certainly wasn't very well known. I mean, I remember somebody saying, which one's the celebrity? Because mm. they didn't know who I was. And when they saw me skate, they went, well, it must be her because she's, rubbish <laughs> um, so, so yeah I was never going to go very far but um, I remember saying to my Russian partner um, you know how, how do you think I'm getting on do you, you know he said well lifting you it does, it's like lifting octopus <laughs> like this. Uh, I was just terrible oh and, brilliant uh, yeah it was never well, we yeah, we won't put that as one of your talents then. So let, no. let's let's look at what what are your talents? Do you have any hidden talents? Do you do anything like Will Buxton, for example, blew us away because he cooks, he can draw. Um, he what was the other? He plays the guitar. Um, really, one of those annoying people that's just good at yeah. bloody everything. Um, yeah. What's your th- What's your thing? Do you have a thing? Um, mm, no, I'm still looking for that hidden talent. I'd love to be able to sing, cannot sing. I'd love to be able to dance, definitely can't dance. No, me neither. Um, Can you I, move your ears independently? Oh, Absolutely not. Can you? Okay, well, that, that's, what I, that's my thing. Yeah, if you just, I yeah. can put, I'm not oh, going to try it oh, now, I can, do I can that. put my leg over the back of my neck, over oh, my head. I'd call that a talent. talent. Not everyone Thanks can do much. that. Oh. Yeah. Um, and I'm weirdly strong for a skinny bird. I'm weirdly strong. Um, I don't know why, but I can. So I, I can squat my husband. Okay. So my husband's That's nearly impressive. 100 kilos, and he goes on my shoulders, and I can squat him. <laughs> I think there's a video on Instagram. Wow. I had have, I'd had a few rum punches on the beach at the time. <laughs> <laughs> And still able to do it. I think that's the. I think that is the talent right there. That's yeah. what you should go for. Agreed. Well, I did it. I did it, and 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 I was squatting with him. And he's. I mean, he's a fitness freak, and he was like, mm, he wouldn't get a rep for that. I was like, oh, we'll just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I did have the Poor right technique. Piece. Yeah. Uh, um... The next day, I I did it again, and I said, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna go for a record. So I think I did six squats on the first day. Anyway, the next day I hadn't had anything to drink. I couldn't do one. I couldn't even pick him up. Hmm. So it just goes to show. Booze. There's nothing oh, wrong with a few glasses of wine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's flip it around. What are, you, what are you terrible at? What are you really crap at? I mean, all the things I just mentioned. Yeah. I cannot sing. <laughs> I cannot dance. I cannot cook. I'm trying really hard with cooking since being a mum. I'm really trying to get better at that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. I like trying new things, so... I'll always give it a go. Well, talking of uh, being a jack of all trades, as a broadcaster, you tend to sort of do a lot, lots of different things, which you've proven. What what advice do you have for uh, any any young women, in particular as well, or any young people who are who are interested in going down a broadcasting route and particularly motorsport, um, and, and want to want to achieve the success you've had? 
So I think the, the best advice I got given um, was, well, first of all, just do something you're really passionate about because then it doesn't feel like work. And yeah. then it feels you, you, you will genuinely sit up reading, researching, um, prepping, till the middle of the night and it won't feel like a lot of effort. My mum's 70 and she's still, oh my gosh, she's kill me for telling everyone that. <laughs> she's 70 and she's still a practicing barrister who is smashing it in court wow. every day of her life because she's so passionate about child welfare, which she, she represents a lot of kids who've been abandoned or abused um, and she's so good at it and she works so hard at it because she she's passionate about it. But um, I... Another bit, another little bit of advice that I got that I thought was quite handy was if you watch a program like a documentary or something that you love, um, write down the name at the end of the show of the director, the producer, the, the production company, and just write to them. Yeah, great just idea. And, you know, everyone loves to have their ego flattered and say, I really loved your show. Um, can I come and see you? Can I have a cup of tea? Um, can I work for free on something just to show you. I mean, maybe you're not allowed to do that these days, work for free, mm. but I certainly used to go and do work experience at loads of places just to try and build a CV up um, that would show that I was committed and work hard. And then once you're there, be the first to arrive and the last to leave every day. Even if it kills you, just work your socks off. Because there's, as my dad always tells me, there's no substitute for hard work. Just yeah. get, get involved, get your hands dirty, get uh, on with it. Absolutely. Very, very sound advice. Great advice. Um, well, Natalie, we have kept you for far too long, but we have a final three questions to ask you, which we ask to all of our guests. Um, so I'll kick off with the first one. What's got you excited right now? Interviewing Alex Albon this afternoon and rem you reminded me that he came off in the first lap with K-Mag. <laughs> Thank you. If I don't get a mention of that, I'll be fuming. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, if not doing what you're doing, what would you be doing? I would probably, and I certainly toyed with it, go the same route as my mum because she and I are very similar people. So I actually had a place at law school that I kept deferring for years. Um, but I do love broadcasting. Um, you never know. I will um, potentially... My mum didn't qualify as a barrister until she was 40. So well, anyone okay. can have a career change at any point in their life. So, Absolutely. Yeah, mm. wow. um, and final question. What are you scared of? Oh, my God. Long list. Snakes, mm -hmm. the dark. Mm. Oh, I know the dark. I, I sleepwalk a lot. I hate that. Oh, it freaks me out. Really? I sleepwalk a lot. So I'm scared of what I will do at nighttime because I mm. quite often wander downstairs and... Have you had any weird things happen when you've been sleepwalking? God, are you kidding me? What do you do when you sleep? Do you like make a cup of tea or what do you do? I, I evacuated the hotel in Texas. <laughs> no, you the Grand didn't. Prix, in Austin. What? I told them it was a flood. I've been, I've been found outside in the corridor by security guard with my hairbrush interviewing <laughs> nobody because I was sleepwalking. Oh my God, uh, this is amazing. I banged on the doors at the Belgian Grand Prix waking everybody up. I've done so many things. I mean, luckily the whole team know now, so everybody knows they're like, oh, it, it goes pinkers well, again. Why has Sky not done a feature on that? This yet? is amazing. Uh, <laughs> so hang on, you, you've, you've left your hotel room, you've walked, you've gone down an elevator to reception and told someone in the lobby that there's a flood in the hotel. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. the best thing I've ever and heard. So do you know what I do now? I actually 
well, I've always, I've done it for the last few years. I put a suitcase against the door and then a chair in front of the suitcase. I almost build like an assault course so that I trip over stuff and that wakes me up. I've got really blue shins from just walking into stuff. Wow. That is incredible. That's amazing. This needs to be investigated more. This is, this is but yeah, clearly yeah. completely cuckoo. Well, listen, um, as Harry says, we've kept you for long enough uh, this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, really good to chat with you and hear your story and guidance advice for those coming up into broadcasting in their own um, worlds and your thoughts on sport and so on. Um, let's uh, let's hope the racing continues. We don't get a second lockdown and all have to you know go backwards and, and back to being indoors the whole time. Don't and, even uh, think it. No, it's, it's, it's not, it. not going to happen. We're positivity. Yeah, foot, first, yeah. Uh, best foot forward. Um, but thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Natalie Pinkham, that's been the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, Subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.